0: if you have your Bibles with you please turn to 1 John 1 9 1 John 1 1 John 1 9 it's closer toward the end and uh, we're gonna deal with a verse that I think is gonna be very very encouraging to you and a concept that's very encouraging to every believer because it has to do with our base our foundations And uh, let's read together 1 John 1, 9. It says, If we confess our sins, there's a contingency. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. We give You praise, honor, and glory, God. We worship You because You are holy. We thank You because You are good. And we praise You because You are great. This morning, Father, I pray that every... Every man be brought low, but Jesus, that you may be lifted high. We come before your word with all gratitude, with humility and thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I'm sure you know that all people are raised differently. They're raised in different cultures. They are raised in different religions. They're raised in different homes. They're raised in different families. And because of this... is why every individual comes to a meeting like this with different influences everybody came here this morning and they arrived here having been influenced by many many different ideas and influenced by many different people who have many different belief systems and so here we are different perspectives different views different upbringings And since since people's belief systems are constructed by all these different influencers in their lives, they usually all believe different things, and it is my responsibility as pastor to help us all realize that no matter who influenced us, what our views may be, or what our belief systems may be, that ultimately this is where truth is at. Ultimately, no matter who we are, where we come from, we have to give up anything that might be contrary to what we see and find here in scriptures so that's not just an exercise that i'm encouraging you to do but it's an exercise i have to do with my life all the time it's a constant giving up of my opinion in order to grab on god's opinion it's a constant giving up of my old views in order to grab a hold of god's views because god's word is what is true Isn't it amazing to know that God put all of His thoughts regarding us and and salvation, His entire plan, His entire strategy for saving you and I into His Word so that it may be communicated to you and I. And that's what church is about today. It's about communicating God's will, God's strategy, God's thoughts, God's heart, and God's wisdom to you and I. Somebody may come from a religious background that claims that man is basically good and God will save him because of the good that is in him. Others, on the other hand, come from a religious background that says since God is love, why would He ever send anybody to hell? How can a loving God send anyone to eternal darkness? Then there are those who believe that a person would have to be really, really, really bad in order to be disqualified by God. For instance, serial killers. Those people deserve their place in hell. Nobody else deserves it, but they do. You know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> You've heard all those, all those views. So the initial question that we have to answer today is, who all are sinners and whose sin is deserving of eternal hell? You might say, Jacques, you know, I've heard this before. I've heard you preach this before. But as a congregation... Uh, we have to always remind ourselves of the foundations of our faith, especially on a first Sunday of every month, like today, where we're going to be receiving communion at the end of the service, and I want to work my way there, so that when we receive communion, it is meaningful, it is valuable, and it is life-changing to you and I. But there are also many people who are coming around our congregation that may not have heard what you have heard, and need to hear the gospel. You might say, Jacques, I've heard it over and over again. Well, that's like saying, I'm not going to order another steak for the rest of my life because I've had a steak before. No, when there's something good and healthy and nutritious and something you need, then you need to hear it over and over again because that's how faith comes. So the initial question is, who are all sinners? And whose sin deserves hell? The Bible's clear. In Romans chapter 3, 23, it says, For all have sinned. And all fall short of God's glory. The reason many people don't believe it is because they don't understand just how perfect God's glory is. And because they don't know how perfect God's glory is, they see themselves as almost good enough. But when they have a revelation just of how perfect God is, suddenly they see their own need of forgiveness. 1 John 1, 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the answer to our first question, who have sinned? The answer to that is very clearly, unanimously, all. That's what I love about the Word of God. Because the Word of God introduces to us, first and foremost, specifically through the Old Testament, our great need for God, our great need to be forgiven, our great need for God to do a forgiving work or an atoning work in our lives because within ourselves, we don't have the ability to make ourselves right with God. We are so far fallen. And that's what I like about... The gospel because it really kind of brings everybody to the same level the PhD and the punk both together in the same boat number two Ephesians 2 verse 3 says all of us also lived among them at one time talking about the pagan world we all lived among them gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts Like the rest, like the pagans, like the world, like the unredeemed, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were by nature deserving of God's wrath. Now, God's wrath is not God throwing a tantrum because He's angry at you. God's wrath is the fact that God is so just, He cannot allow sin to remain unpunished. Sin has to be punished. That's why He's good. People think He's so good, He won't punish me. I'm saying, no, He is so good, He will have to punish me for my sins. Good is this way. When it says that God is good, it means that God is not a crooked judge. He is a good judge. A crooked judge will get paid under the table. And then He won't judge justly because He was paid under the table. He's crooked. He's compromised. God is not that way. God is a good judge. He actually will not allow sin to remain unpunished. He cannot be paid off. He cannot be manipulated. He is good. That's why we have to fear Him. But many people interpret it this way. Ah, oh, because He's good, He'll never do anything to me that I don't like. <laughs> you know. So here we see, the Bible says that like the rest, Ephesians 23 b like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Why does it say by nature? Because God's wrath is poured out upon us, not just because of all the things we did we shouldn't have done and all the things we didn't do that we should have done, not because of all of our sins of commission and sins of omission, but because of our nature of sin. You see, You aren't a sinner because you sinned. No, you sin because you're a sinner. You want a dog. or It's not a dog because it barks. It barks because it's a dog. My nature causes me to continue sinning. But the wrath of God falls upon us. Let me say it this way. We deserve God's wrath to fall upon us because we have a nature of sin that continues to sin, In other words, we are completely helpless, therefore we are completely hopeless. Sinful nature, sinful actions. The only possible redemption for somebody like you and I is God Himself reaching down and saving us. That's why the Bible says His arm is not too short to save. And when He said that, He's saying that there's no one so far fallen that God cannot save them. Everybody is savable. God can save anyone, no matter how far down the road they are. But my point here is that the answer to our question, who all deserves God's wrath, who all deserves hell, is you and I. Like the rest of the fallen world, we deserve hell completely. So I'm so glad you guys came to church to hear this good news. Good. Receive an offering, let's go home. We've learned our lesson. But now here is where the good news of the gospel becomes so extremely refreshing and so extremely necessary. It is what makes the complete difference. This is why we as Christians, um, we can be most joyful Truthfully, you can enjoy your life so much more. You can sleep so much better. You can be so much more confident, all because of this fact right here that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what changes all of what I deserve. You see, Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it tells us what Jesus did for us on the cross. So I want you and I to go down this pathway in our thoughts, in our imaginations, and for a moment... Imagine all that Jesus achieved for us on the cross. Everything He did for us when He died and then He rose and as He rose again, He justified and made right all His sheep, His entire body, His entire bride. Colossians 2 verse 13 and 14 says this, And when you were dead in your wrongdoings, who? You. When you were what? Dead. In what? Your wrongdoings. When you were dead in your wrongdoings and the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him. With Jesus, He made you alive. Having forgiven us all our wrongdoings. Having done what? Forgiven us all our wrongdoings. The two. Having canceled the certificate of death Having done what? Canceled the certificate of debt. And has taken it out of the way, the certificate of debt, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Wow, those four things are amazing. These are probably the two most clearly articulated verses in the entire Bible regarding our sin debt. Think about it. These four things. Having forgiven you of your sin. Canceled the certificate of debt. In other words, cancel the proof of your sin debt. Just canceled it. Number three, he has taken it out of the way. Out of what? Whose way? Between you and God, there was this sin debt, and he took it out of the way. And then number four, it says that he nailed it to the cross. Paid in full. Now, Hebrews 7, 27 says this. He has no need, talking about Jesus. He has no need like those high priests of old to offer sacrifices daily now think about it back in the day the high priest or the priest had to sacrifice make sacrifices on behalf of you all every day every day forgive them today again oh forgive them again today forgive them again today slaughter sacrifice over and over and over again so that your sins may be covered and here it says he jesus has no need like those old high priests to offer sacrifices daily since he did this once for all when He offered up Himself. He did it one time for all time. He only needed to do it one time, and it was sufficient for, all, for your entire life of sin. I mean, that is good news, isn't it? That means His sacrifice does not need to be repeated in any way, shape, or form to be effective. Sacrifice does not have to take place in any shape or form ever again in order for His original sacrifice to be effective. His sacrifice is sufficient and it's effective. This is important to understand and you'll see why. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago was eternally enough for you. Hebrews 9, 26 says, He has appeared once for all, at the end of the ages, to put away sin, By the sacrifice of Himself. He appeared once. Why is this important? Because some of us need to know that there is no such thing as transubstantiation. He appeared once. He didn't appear twice. He didn't appear three times. He is not perpetually appearing. He appeared once for all to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. However, our focus here today is that He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. That's what He did. What was put away, let me just ask you. What all was put away? Sin. Can we say it again? What was put away? Sin. When was it put away? 2,000 years ago. How many times? One time. It took Jesus one time to deal with all sin for those whom He saved. Hebrews 10.14 says this, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being saved. It says it again. It said it in Hebrews 7.27. It said it in Hebrews 9.26. It said it in Hebrews 10.14. So Jesus Christ paid for your wrongdoings. He paid for our wrongdoings. He made atonement for our sins once for all time. You are forever forgiven. That's what He's saying. But not just that. He says you are, f- you are forever forgiven completely. Isn't that a great thought? Amen. His sacrifice was that good. That means the payment for your sins is not repeated in the Protestant baptism. That means the payment for your sins is not repeated in the Catholic Mass. That means it is not repeated in your good works. Oh, you've done enough good works, you can now be forgiven for other bad things. It doesn't work that way. Not with God. Because Jesus already paid for it all in full completely 2,000 years ago, one time and it's over. It's not repeated in history and will never be, be repeated forever. Not in tithes, they do nothing for your sins. Not in offerings, they do nothing for your sins. Indulgences, they do nothing for your sins. Good works do nothing for your sins. There is nothing you need to do in order to complete Jesus' payment He made for you on the cross. And oftentimes we have this idea that, okay, he, He made the payment for my sin debt, and now I have to do good works. I have to bring an offering. I have to serve. I have to... There's something I have to contribute in order to make that payment reach its entire uh, debt. There's something I have to add to it. And the Bible says, no, that's not so. Jesus made the full payment. He purchased your forgiveness outright. And to affirm this doctrine of your eternal forgiveness, let's look at John 19.30. It says this, therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He gave up his life. Nobody took it from him, nobody murdered him. He gave up his life. Because that, that's why his work on the cross is a gift to you. All we can do is receive it in faith. You cannot add to it, work for it, deserve it. Tina, um, um, could you turn that off? Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, the original word in Greek for it is finished is the word tetelestai, tetelestai which means paid in full. So in other words, when Jesus hung there, paying the penalty for our sin debt, He stayed there on the cross and He was paying the penalty for your sin debt until every single one of your and my sins were paid in full. The moment the final sin was paid completely, even tomorrow's and even next year's sin, was paid completely 2,000 years ago. He said, Tetelestai. Paid in full. It is finished. Nothing now needs to be added. It is done, completed. There is no sin debt left unpaid. It has to be paid in full. Nothing needs to be added to complete the payment. And this is the foundational glory of Christ's achievement on the cross. That's why it's good news, folks. That's why it's good news. And that's why it's important to understand it wasn't His payment because of your worthy, w- worthiness. It wasn't His payment because of your value. It wasn't His payment because of your obedience. It wasn't His payment because you were likable or because you were anything. It was because he was able to love the unlovely completely to the point where he gave himself and paid the full price to save those who didn't deserve to be saved at all. That's you and I. This is what the Bible calls the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is God's power to save. And with what, what was impossible with man became completely possible with God. Now here comes the part that many people find confusing because, to be clear, the basis of your forgiveness is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. If somebody had to come to you and say, why are you forgiven? It's because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. To some people who come from certain backgrounds, when you say, why are you forgiven? It's because I was baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. It was because I was baptized in the name of Jesus. It's because I'm, I do all these prayers every night. I'm on my knees. I've climbed upstairs. <laughs> my People think of all these different things that they may have done that will cause them to be forgiven. But the basis of your forgiveness is what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. That's your answer. Why am I forgiven? Because of what Jesus did. That's your complete answer. But the confusing part many people have is what's implied in 1 John, 9, 1 John 1 verse 9, our foundational text today. 1 John 1 verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can you hear the tension there? Somebody might say, well, Jacques, didn't you just say, my f- the basis of my forgiveness is the sacrifice of Christ completely. That's the basis of my forgiveness. Yet this verse says, if we confess our sins, contingent upon, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hmm. There's another verse in the same chapter, 1 1 John 1, verse 7. It says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, a contingency. If we walk in the light, now we are cleansed from our sins. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. I'm saying, well, what happened to the fact that Jesus said, it is finished? I thought we were already all forgiven. And based upon what Jesus did and nothing of what we did, are we forgiven? I thought that was the deal. But now he introduces this idea no, no, no. If you confess with your mouth, or if you confess your sins, he will forgive you. If you walk in the light, his blood cleanses you. How do we we deal with that tension? Because what about the guy that forgot the sin he committed a year ago and never confessed it? It says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you. What about the sin you forgot that you committed? (laughs) What about the person who commits a sin and dies before he has opportunity to confess his sins? What happens to that person? So when you look at these two verses, it seems like our forgiveness actually depends on confessing our sins. Our forgiveness depends on walking in the light. That's what it seems like. So here, let me, I, I want to explain that to you because in the explanation of this, there is so much freedom and direction. So let me explain to you that that tension can be made sense of, can be understood has to be understood, needs to be understood. And in order to understand this apparent tension, we should distinguish between the purchase of our forgiveness and the traits of those who are now forgiven. Let me say it again. In order to reconcile those apparent tensions, we have to distinguish between the purchase of my forgiveness and the traits I have as a forgiven person. So let's start here. Why are we told to confess our sins if our sins are already being canceled in Christ? The Bible teaches God's people have traits that show that they are in fact God's people. Jesus taught us that the tree has fruits that show in fact that that's the kind of tree that it is. In other words, there are traits that show a person is truly belongs to Christ and truly has been touched by God and truly has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and has truly been regenerated by the Spirit of God. If somebody has received a brand new heart, there are signs that this person has a brand new heart. If a dead person comes back to life There are signs that this dead person is now alive again. If a blind person sees, it is obvious that they have received their sight. There are traits, there are signs. And we have to distinguish between those whose sins have been purchased and swallowed up in the cross and the traits of those who are now forgiven. One of those traits this new creature has is his way of dealing with ongoing sin. It's not the only trait, but one of the main traits of a renewed, regenerate, born-again creature who's now in Christ is the way he deals with his ongoing sin. You see, this is what makes this issue a little complicated because Christians still sin even though the Christian is a new creature this new creature in Christ still has an unredeemed flesh that entices him on a daily basis in 1 John 1:8, it says if we say that we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us when he said that he was speaking to a very specific uh, heresy that was coming into the church at the time And he was very specifically dealing with these people who believed that there was a a difference between their bodies and their spirit to the point where their spirit is redeemed and it doesn't matter what happens to their body. And John was saying, wait a minute, don't don't bind to that stuff. Don't say, no, it wasn't me, it was my flesh. You see? So some people go like, "No, no, no, I'm perfect. I'm perfect in Christ. My flesh is fallen." And so yeah, I mean, the flesh is going to do whatever the flesh wants to do, so hey, let's party on. I am perfect in Christ." And John was addressing it, and he was saying, "Wait a minute, you can't do that. If he says, "If you say, 1, John 1:8, 1, you have no sin." You are deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in you. You have to be able to say, I have sinned. So the question comes, if you, are, if you are a true child of God, whose sins have completely and eternally been paid for, been covered, been canceled, they have been nailed to the cross at the expense of Jesus' blood, If this is true about you, how do you feel about your ongoing sin? Does it bother you? Or does it not bother you at all? So here John was addressing the fact that people felt like ongoing sin wasn't a concern at all. Because my spirit is perfect. My spirit is perfect in Christ. He made me perfect and they turn a blind eye to the fact that there is sin and it's actually theirs. He says, so, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And the question is, how do you feel about your ongoing sin knowing that it's your ongoing sin that fell upon Christ and caused the wrath of God to crush Him? What trait will mark the person who knows his sin fell on Christ. I'll show you what the Bible says that trait is. It says in Colossians 3, verse 3 and 5, it says, For you have died, who's he talking to? The purchased body of Christ, the bride of Jesus Christ. He says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Then he says in verse 5, put to death therefore. Now, whenever you see the word therefore, you have to go, okay, here's the word therefore. He's telling us therefore we have to do this because of something else that was just said. He goes, he's saying something, saying something, he's saying something, and he goes, therefore do this. Ah, so doing this is connected to what he said prior to it. Does it make sense? So he's saying, for you have died and your life is hidden in Christ with Christ in God therefore put to death what is earthly in you put to death kill what is earthly in you he lists what's earthly sexual immorality impurity passion evil desires covetousness and idolatry put it to death therefore put this to death because you are hidden With Christ, or in Christ, with God. You are hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, put the stuff away. What he's saying is, your sins have been swallowed up. It cost Jesus his life. Therefore, stop it. Because you're forgiven, stop sinning. Because I know what it cost my Savior to save me from these sins. Why will I not stop? Why would I not care? Why would I turn a blind eye? Why would I just enjoy it? No, if I know what it cost Him, He says, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, put away these things, because you're already forgiven. Wow. You see, the walkaway point here is that one trait of those whose sins are fully paid for, those who are in Christ, those who are regenerate, those who have a brand new heart, those who have been created anew, whose sins are paid for, is that they make war on their ongoing sin. That's a sign of a true, truly born-again individual. They're constantly making war on their current sin. They don't turn a blind eye and say, well, that's the flesh. My spirit is perfect. That's one of the ancient heresies that still live on today, and and the old church fathers absolutely dealt with that in a harsh way, starting with the Apostle John. Stop deceiving yourself. You're a liar if you say that. And the truth is not in you. So yes, this is, this, is a, this is a fruit. This is a truth about every regenerate individual is that they're constantly warring against the sin in their lives because they know they've already been completely forgiven. And they're thankful for it. We know that our sin offends God. But you see, we cannot do that if we will not first admit that we are sinning. And this is the problem right here. I cannot war against my sin, my ongoing sin, if I don't first admit that I have ongoing sin. If I walk into this room with a wrong perspective of God maybe i picked it up from the religion i'm in or i picked it up from the family i'm from or i picked it up from a friend whose bible study i'm with or you know like whatever the or maybe i'm just coming from a different uh, false religion if if you walk in here thinking that i'm a good person you know i'm not that bad you know i don't you know i don't really sin we have to change our perspective we have to understand that until we admit that we have sinned we have not confessed our sin to admit that you are sinning against God is to confess that you have sinned let me say it again to admit that you are sinning against God is to confess that you have sinned you see the man in the courtroom downtown stands up in front of the judge and he confesses Goes yes judge I am the one who did that I confess I am guilty that person just confessed what did they confess their guilt his confession is his admission of wrongdoing let me just explain to you confession in this way When you confess before a judge, what you are saying is, judge, I'm agreeing with you that I stepped over the line. I'm agreeing with you that you have a standard and I didn't reach it. I'm agreeing with you that you had a law and I broke it. I confess. That's confession. I remember going to court when I first moved to the United States and coming from South Africa. We used to travel really fast down there. And if you see a little opening, you just grab it, you know? You just kind of aim and shoot. That's how they drive. So when I came here, I, I started piling up these tickets. And eventually I had to go and beg the judge to not take my license away. And I'm like, Judge, you know, I was thinking about all of this. Like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain I'm from South Africa. I'm in a car that I'm not used to. I'm going to give all these, you know. Yeah, I was driving on the wrong side of the road. Truly, there were so many people racing past me. I thought I was going too slow. Uh, What all can I think of? you know? So I'm trying to come up with all these excuses. And uh, then I was thinking, okay, well, another thing is, please don't take my license away. There are people dying in the hospitals, and I have to go and visit them. There's nobody else that can do this, only me. So I'm thinking of all these things I was going to say to the judge. So we sat in the courtroom and prior to the judge coming out, uh, there was this lawyer attorney that was representing all of us. And um, he starts off by saying, hey, I just want to let you guys know, I work in this court and I've worked here for a long time. This is how it works, okay? The most amount of mercy you will receive from from that judge is if you... Stop resisting and just admit. Just say you're wrong. Start there. That's the most amount of mercy you're going to get. If, in fact, you want to argue, okay, well, now, then you're going to have a problem. And so, of course, at that point, you know, when the judge walked in, I was like, excuse me, I was wrong. I was wrong. It was me. I did everything right. It was from beginning to end, I'm guilty. All right. <laughs> And uh, she, uh, she was kind to me. I learned my lesson. But isn't that so? Isn't that so with even in, in, in our families? You know, for those of you who have children, it's like what you need is admission. And the moment there's an admission, there's no more prosecution. The moment I say to the judge, I confess, I'm guilty, prosecution's over. She just goes, Here's your fine. Okay, thank you. But if I want to argue, okay, now they're gonna keep on prosecuting, prosecuting, prosecuting until they find until they prove to me that I'm guilty. And it's so with you know with your family. You go like, all right, son, like I'm trying to I'm trying to help you understand that you did the wrong thing. No, I didn't. Yes you did. No, I didn't, yes you did. And the prosecution's there. But if he goes like he already knows, Dad, if he comes and he says, Dad, you know I did something wrong. Oh really, son, what was it? Immediately, I want to help you through this. <laughs> You see, And so to admit that you are sinning against God is to confess your sin. That's what happened to David. He lived trying to justify the sin that he committed with Bathsheba and killing her husband Uriah until the day that the prophet came and immediately David fell to his knees and he said, God, against you and you alone I have sinned, and he confesses. So the second trait for someone who is is a new creature in Christ is confession. The first trait is that he needs to make war against that sin. He wants to war against that ongoing sin in his own life because he knows he's already been forgiven of it. How can I continue in it? And then when he does sin, the second trait of an actual born-again individual is the fact that they go, oh God, I just stepped over the line. I did, I did. It was me. It was totally me from beginning to end. It's my fault. None of it's your fault. I'm not. Uh, you see, the person who's not born again is the one who, who grabs for fig leaves and tries to cover, right? But the one who's got a brand new heart runs towards confessing, not hiding. Confessing our sin is simply us agreeing with God and that our sin must be fought and killed and warred against. So if we do not confess this truth, John says, we are living in an illusion. We're living in an illusion that we have no sin. Repentance is not a one-time issue, folks. It's a lifelong. It's a lifelong exercise. Because it's not that you keep, you know, and some people get it wrong. They actually accuse, for instance, myself for saying this because they say, No, I, I repented in 1971. I'm saved. I know. And the sign of a truly saved individual is that they live with a contrite heart before God. The sign of a a truly saved individual is the one who now wars against his sin for the rest of his life. Not in order to be saved, but because he is saved. Not in order to be forgiven, but because he is already forgiven. Therefore, he hates doing it. He knows the price that was paid for his forgiveness. That's why he hates continuing in it, in sin. The one who doesn't war against his own sin is the one that trivializes sin. And the one that trivializes sin has no idea what value the cross really holds. And if the cross holds supreme value, there's no possible way you will just allow sin to go on and on and on in your life knowing that this is what Christ was punished for 2,000 years ago how can I continue in it so in conclusion this confession of our sin is not the basis of our forgiveness when he says if you confess your sin he's faithful and just to forgive you that confession of your sin isn't the basis of your forgiveness Christ's sacrifice is the basis of your forgiveness but if you are that one that confesses his sins you are the one if you're the one with that trait trust me he's faithful and just to forgive you you are the forgiven one Confession of our sin is one of the traits that shows that we are truly born again, we are a true new creature, we cannot make light of ongoing sin. That's why in the same book of John, he says, if you are, if you are a child of God, then you just simply cannot continue sinning, you just can't do it. Do you sin? Yeah, you do, oh, I hate continuing it, I can't just choose it, I can't run after it. I can't, I can't uh, um, plan it and strategize it and fulfill it and complete it and then go back for another round. I don't, you can't do that as, an, as a born again person. It, it causes you to no longer sleep at nights. It causes you to have a horrible, horrible life and you hate doing it while you are doing it. You're trying to satisfy the flesh but you hate it at the same time. Confession of our sins is one of the traits that shows that we do not make light of the very sin that was put upon Christ that caused God's wrath to be poured out on Him. Amen.